What's up, heroes? Welcome to episode 65. Back in mid-February, I attended a virtual sync licensing meeting hosted by Danny Felt, who you may remember from episodes 55 and 56. Danny brought in Michael Elsner as the guest speaker. Michael has had over 2,000 placements of original music in TV, film, and commercials over the last 15 years. He gave a terrific talk about sync licensing, and he also runs a course over at mastermusiclicensing.com. He offered so much practical advice, I had to share what I learned. But first, cue the intro music. Sync licensing is a license between you with music you own and someone else giving them permission to use the song in conjunction with some sort of video, such as a movie, DVD, TV show, or movie trailer. It's sometimes called synchronization rights. Sync is sometimes spelled S-Y-N-C or S-Y-N-C-H if you're trying to Google this. Michael made a lot of good points in his presentation. He started off with dollars. Sync licensing pays a lot better than the streaming industry does. It takes 336,842 monthly streams on Spotify to make $1,472 per month, which in the U.S. is the poverty rate. He points out that you can make this easily with a single sync license. Commercials, films, and trailers can easily get into the tens of thousands of dollars in payments. On top of that, it can create a recurring income stream as people continue to watch the TV shows or movies with your music in it. It does take some time to get started. He commented that sync licensing is not a get-rich-quick scheme, but it's better than a stay-poor-slowly scheme. It's not just about the money, though. It can help provide you with a lot of recognition, too, if your name appears in a major TV show or movie. Also, you don't have to give up your rights to your music. A music licensing agency is very much like working with a real estate agent. Your contract with a real estate agent is just to sell your house. The real estate agent doesn't own your house, and you're still free to put up flyers around town if you'd like to try to help sell it. In sync licensing, you're simply giving a music library rights to represent your music for sync, but you still own the masters. He also emphasized the importance of changing your thinking. We're all used to working in the music industry, but a music supervisor or soup is not in the music industry. He or she works in the film industry. If you don't make it easy for them and they don't trust you, they won't use you. you got to understand that music is often the last thing added, and they frequently only have a day or two to do so. This also means you'll probably have to read the legal contract yourself because your attorney may not be able to turn it around that quickly. Thankfully, because you're only giving them rights to to use your song and not ownership of the master, these sync contracts tend to be pretty straightforward. Michael offers a four-step process for getting started in sync licensing. I'm sure he goes into a lot more detail in his online course, but here are some of my takeaways from the presentation. First, you have to build your catalog. Focus on building a good quality song every month. One of the huge benefits of sync licensing is that you're free to explore any genre you want. Follow your inspiration. There's no need to stifle your creativity because there's a market for just about every genre. Also, if you're writing specifically with sync in mind, don't worry about the rules for songwriting you've learned about. 
getting to your course in the first 30 seconds in order to hold people's attention on Spotify. That doesn't apply in sync because probably they're only going to use a part of your song anyway. As you're trying to figure out what works, stop watching TV and start listening to it. Notice what types of song work on your favorite shows or commercials. Notice how they're edited, what instruments are used, etc. I've never really thought about this before, but it makes perfect sense. As a DJ, we should constantly be listening to new music. If you're interested in sync licensing, you've got to be doing the same. Second, you need to create valuable content by creating alternate mixes and versions of your song. Those versions might include instrumentals, acapellas, acoustic versions, etc. You also want to create stems of all your mixes. Having multiple versions makes it easier for the audio engineer to work your track into the final mix. For example, if they want your track for a point in the show where two people are talking, they might only want the instrumental. It should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. You've got to own the rights for everything in your track. No illegal sampling. Third, you've got to focus on the metadata, because that's how people are going to find your music in the online catalogs. He strongly recommended AIFF lossless format, which holds metadata, whereas WAV files do not. That's the same reason I recommended AIFF files to DJs way back in episode 15. For metadata, he recommends one to two sentence descriptions, a list of 40 or 50 keywords or phrases describing the track's mood, feeling, and instruments, and your publishing and contact info. Finally, get your music heard. Some music libraries are non-exclusive, so you can cross-post your music across multiple libraries. He strongly recommended against this and said to only use exclusive music libraries. Here's why. Sometimes non-exclusive libraries will rename your track, and a music soup could get submissions from two different sync libraries for the same song, both claiming the rights to it, which creates a legal headache for them. Soups want to know that if they use a track, there are no loose ends or legal entanglements. I asked him if he could recommend a couple of music libraries he likes during the Q&A session, but he said there is no right answer. It depends on your music and what the library tends to represent or maybe what they're missing. He mentioned he'd been with 14 different libraries over his career, and it all depends on your niche. To find the best music library for you, he recommended subscribing for one month to Music Library Report and then do your homework. You can join for a month for $35. He did mention three screening criteria when you're evaluating libraries. First, it should be an exclusive library, and we just talked about that. Second, he said any library you choose should have a phone number, and you should be able to pick up the phone and talk with somebody about your music. Finally, he said he's had the best luck with platforms that use the source audio software to manage their music. I guess it has a particularly user-friendly interface, and it does the best job handling metadata, but I'm just guessing. He didn't elaborate on that point. If you don't know what a music library looks like, I'll include a link to one in the show notes that he mentioned, Five Alarm Music, so you can poke around and see what we're talking about. Five Alarm does seem to use the source audio interface too, so you can see what that looks like. While he discouraged going straight to music supervisors, he still offered advice about how to give yourself the best shot if you do want to try it yourself. First, do your research. Figure out what sort of a show your music fits in, then use tunefind.com and IMDB to find out who the music supervisor is. Click on See Full Cast and Crew, then Series Music Department. Then Google them and find their contact info. 
Next, reach out to them via email or social media and try to deliver a lot of value. Tell them specifically what you like about their show and music selection, then pitch your track with a link. Key points you should mention. You have all the metadata, you own the master and the sync rights, and here's a streamable link. He recommended SoundCloud, which is free, although Danny Felt uses Disco, which really seems to be the perfect tool if you're doing a lot of sync licensing. Disco allows you to upload your tracks and then creates a database that uses your meta tags as well as its own automated tagging system to help you find exactly the track you're looking for at any given time. It is $10 a month, though. There is another option. Check out episode 55 of the podcast with Danny Felt. If you don't want to spend a bunch of time doing this yourself, you can use a middleman, or in this case, a middlewoman, who can then help connect your music with the right music supervisors. Michael's course isn't cheap, but given how much value he delivered in a 30-minute talk, I suspect it's probably worth the money. This isn't something I'm really passionate about right now, so I think I'll probably just try sending some of my tracks to Danny and see what she can do, but I could see myself taking Michael's course at some point in the future. If you're interested, head over to mastermusiclicensing.com. He's got a free ebook over there that you can dig into more of his materials. Michael's course is one option, but I do need to mention that there are others. Over the years, I've been really impressed with Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business. It's a terrific book, by the way, and over at ariestake.com. He's got a great blog, a podcast, and a sync course, although his sync course is a little different in that it's only open at certain times of the year. I'll have a link in the show notes so that you can comparison shop a little bit. Uh, if any of you guys have experience with sync licensing, I'd love to know your thoughts over at producerlifepodcast.com, episode 65, or in our private Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash producerlifepodcast. Until next week. This is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today.